You are listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. In 1993, only three medical schools in the United States had courses that explored the role of spirituality in health. The number has risen to 90. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Susan Dolan, your host, and joining me today is Dr. Larry Dossi from Santa Fe, New Mexico. Dr. Dossi lectures internationally on the topic of spirituality in medicine. His many books include Prayer is Good Medicine, Be Careful What You Pray For, Reinventing Medicine, and the New York Times bestseller book on prayer, Healing Words. He is currently the executive editor of Explore, the Journal of Science and Healing. Dr. Dossi, welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. Well, it's a delight to be with you, Susan. Thanks for the invitation. How has the medical school curriculum changed regarding spirituality and health? Well, back in the early 90s when I became involved with this area, there was virtually no dialogue at all in the medical schools about the role that spirituality might play in people's health. Uh, That's changed dramatically because of uh, a number of key developments. Uh, Currently, as you just mentioned, the overwhelming number of medical schools have instituted places in the curriculum for this kind of evidence, and they've done it because of one overwhelming reason. There is a compelling body of evidence that spiritual practices promote good health. They're correlated with uh, higher levels of healthiness, lower levels of disease, and uh, increased longevity. So this has become a medical issue, and most scholars uh, understand that we're not justified any longer in shoving uh, issues of spirituality to the sidelines, because in some instances they literally do make the difference in life and death. What changes have you seen in clinical practice that reflect more of an acceptance of spirituality and health into mainstream medicine? I'll give you one example. The Medical schools around the country are very cordial these days to investigating the health effects of meditation. Uh, Back in the early 70s, this was a forbidden, tabooed topic. It was equated with uh, New Age flakiness and and so on. And uh, I actually know faculty members who were threatened with dismissal from medical school because of their interest in uh, this. But now... This is one of those areas that uh, has really come out of the closet. Uh, There are studies in medical schools all across the country looking at the uh, health correlates of meditation in terms of stress reduction, pain management, and so on. So that's just one little aspect of uh, this whole business that uh, has become exceedingly respectable. What is the difference between spirituality and religion? Well, it's a good thing to clarify that. I think spirituality may be connected uh, with religion. In some people's lives it is, but it always uh, is not that way. Uh, For me, and this is my own personal definition, spirituality is simply a sense of being connected with something higher than the individual ego or self. Uh, It may or may not include a a concept of a supreme being. Religion uh, is a codified system of beliefs and behaviors, uh, usually taking place in a congregation of like-minded believers. And again, it may or may not uh, include a sense of uh, spirituality. So they can go together. Uh, They often do, but they often uh, do not. I imagine you know people who consider themselves spiritual without being religious. I certainly do, and vice versa. People who are quite religious without manifesting much of a sense of spirituality So these are not the same thing, although they can become uh, entwined with one another. 
What does research reveal about spirituality and health? Uh, Studies for the past 30 years have shown that people who follow some sort of spiritual path in their life live on average 7 to 13 years longer on average than people who don't. This is just huge. They have a lower incidence of all the major diseases you want to look at. So, again, it's because of this uh, database that has pushed most of the medical schools toward examining uh, that. It used to be thought, I think, that uh, spirituality was just really uh, something uh, quite optional as far as health uh, is concerned. And, you know, you could either take it or leave it, and uh, it wouldn't make any difference to your health. That's an outmoded idea uh, because of the uh, growing evidence that uh, spirituality does pay sometimes huge dividends in people's lives. Will you tell us a little bit about the better-known research studies? Well, currently there are 21 what we call randomized uh, clinical control studies looking at the role of prayer and healing intentions uh, in uh, getting well. These are uh, studies in which a group of individuals with a certain illness are actually prayed for by a group of individuals the recipients are unaware that uh, they are or are not being prayed for. Sometimes the participants who are doing the praying really don't call this prayer. They may call it healing intentions, just wishing for the highest good or something like that. But in all of these studies, the individual trying to make the difference is willing, wanting, wishing, praying, or intending that that uh, distant individual get better or recover from an illness. By my last count, 11 of these 21 studies show statistical significance that something is going on here that can't be explained by chance. The illnesses that have been uh, looked at in these studies are quite numerous, uh, quite often heart disease uh, manifested by acute myocardial infarction, hospitalization in the coronary care unit, uh, patients with advanced AIDS, patients undergoing cardiac catheterization or angioplasty, where one looks at the difference that the prayer or healing intentions makes and the rate of side effects following these procedures and so on. And so these studies have come out of mainstream institutions such as Harvard and Duke and Columbia and other first-tier medical schools. That's sort of a thumbnail about where we stand with the controlled studies in humans. I must say that far more numerous are studies not in humans but in animals and uh, other non-human models, such as the growth rates of plants, the growth rates of bacteria and test tubes, the responses of tumors and animals, uh, and so on. Two-thirds of these studies, roughly speaking, show statistical significance that something positive happens when uh, this sort of intervention is uh, made. So we have two uh, kinds of uh, studies, those in humans and and non-humans, uh, the majority of the majority of which show that uh, statistical significance occurs when people use their own love and compassion and empathy to try to make a difference in other people. One of your books is titled "Be Careful What You Pray For." What do you mean by that title? Well, I mean by that that uh, there can be a downside to spirituality and uh, religious practices. Uh, and I simply wanted to raise a warning flag that uh, when we talk about spirituality and health, this can uh, involve uh, what in any other area of medicine would be called side effects, uh, negative outcomes. Uh, I think there's a lot of Pollyannish thinking that goes on in the spirituality and health community where 
we tend to say, gosh, this is just all really wonderful stuff, and there aren't any side effects or any problems we need to be aware of. I don't believe that. And so this book was a warning flag. If you look at what's been done in the laboratory, you can see some very interesting findings in non-human experiments in which, just to give you a single example, people have been able to increase the growth rates of living things, for example, bacteria and test tubes, and then they're given the instructions to make it go in the other direction, harm these living things, decrease the growth rates of those bacteria in those test tubes compared with the controls. And they're able to do this in uh, either direction. They can help or harm the uh, living organisms, in this case, bacteria. Uh, this has been done in other living models also. It's never been done in humans because it's unethical and also illegal to do experiments in which the goal is to harm someone. So I think that these non-human experiments should give us pause that our thoughts and intentions and, and so on can possibly have negative consequences. You know, if you look around the world, uh, most cultures uh, have a respect for this uh, possibility. Anthropologists uh, who study these things know that the belief in hexes and curses and spells, for example, are quite common in uh, societies around the world. And uh, I think that uh, the more we look into the intricacies of our intentions and so on, we will see that there's this polarity that's involved. And we should, uh, I think, be quite sobered by these possibilities. You know, if we think of intentions and prayer and so on as therapy, if this field did not have side effects, it would be the only therapy ever discovered that didn't have some side effect associated with it. So I think this deserves our attention. What are your thoughts on so-called miracle cures? I was trained throughout my education as a physician to think that these so-called miracle cures were exceedingly rare. I remember being told that uh, you can, as you're you go forward in your career as a physician, you can spend your whole life as a doctor and never see one of these things. Uh, I don't believe that anymore. Recent uh, work has suggested that these things are much more common than anybody thinks. Uh, I think that they're a problem for most of us physicians because we've fallen into the habit of defining these things virtually as impossible. A lot of skeptics and critics say that these so-called miracle cures lie outside the laws of nature, which by definition uh, makes them, in their view, impossible. Uh, I suggest that that's a wrong definition. If something happens, it's certainly possible. If it happens, it's, it presumably follows some laws of nature. Otherwise, we wouldn't uh, be aware of it. Uh, it wouldn't occur. So I think these things fall within nature. They express more our ignorance of nature than being a prohibition by nature. So I think that uh, the recent surveys are very revealing. When doctors in national surveys have been asked what they think about these things, according to a 2004 survey, 55% of American physicians say that they have actually seen clinical events in their patients that they would consider to be miraculous. That's a lot of doctors. I think a lot, a lot of physicians just aren't talking about this for fear of embarrassment and not wishing to be thought unscientific. What is your take-home message for physicians? Well, I, I just want to emphasize I'm, I'm not advocating any sort of religious uh, direction here. What doctors do with this is their own business. I do advocate, however, informing uh, oneself as a physician and educating oneself about actually what's been done. I find that uh, very few physicians are familiar with the literature surrounding, for example, the research in prayer and healing intentions. 
I think it's it's crucial that doctors open up about this. To do otherwise is not good science. I think that doctors privately, although many are loath to say so, are very cordial to this idea. And I believe that if we have the courage to inform ourselves about this, this can open up all sorts of therapeutic options for our patients. How can listeners learn more? Well, there are many books on the market uh, out there, including several of my own, which uh, are written for lay people as well as for uh, interested professionals, uh, which provide the background and the reasons to take this field seriously. So I think it's never been easier, Susan, for people to inform themselves about this. Dr. Dossi, thank you for joining us today. It's a great pleasure. Thank you, Susan. I'm Susan Dolan. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.